I get. I'll just do three, two, one. Okay. And that Wait, so so on. Five. Okay, thank you for on one. On, on one. <laughs> on, on one. On one. On one. Thank you. I'm trying to be confusing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> keep this in. Keep this in. Keep this in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Power Outage Podcast, very first episode. With me tonight, I have the spirit of indecisiveness, Ryan. Why does love hurt more the closer we get? (laughs) Okay. And with me here also tonight is the god of glizzies, Levy. Uh, To quote Psystar on Nujabe's feather. And I drove the Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Singing this will be the day that I die. My god. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Alright. As your host for tonight, I am the spirit of unfortunate circumstances. Legally distinct from that one TV book series. (laughs) My name is Kent. And this is the Power Adage Podcast. Like I've mentioned before, we talk TV shows and discuss them together as a group and share our opinions with the world. A disclaimer, all the episodes that we're going to talk about are not going to be spoiler-free. So if you don't mind spoilers, keep listening. But if you do, you can skip this. It's okay. We're not going anywhere. Uh, Go ahead and watch the show and come back. So in our very first episode, we're going to talk about one TV show, one very special TV show. It's called Mystic Pop-Up Bar. If you all don't know what that is, it's a Korean comedy drama about a woman named Wuju who has to spend over a century of her life, 500 years, 100 years, who knows, it's a long time, trying to comfort the spirits, trying to alleviate of their grudges before they move on from the living realm. And yeah, I guess with that synopsis, we can go right into some questions I have for the group. So maybe we'll go a bit general here, folks. What are some highlights, some lowlights from the shows? Uh, to clarify, we've watched the first six episodes, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. This is my first K-drama, I will say. Mm-hmm. Same, same, same. And um, I I enjoyed I enjoyed the first six episodes. I, when we were picking out a show to all watch together, this was definitely not just on name recognition. This was not at the top of my list, but once I started to hear more about it, I was really sold on the idea of how weird it was. And uh, yeah, it kind of lives up to that. From episode one, it got very weird. And then it continues to get weird as the first few episodes go by. Some of the comedy works. I actually found myself laughing out loud. But there there are a lot of misses for me that feel a little corny or cheesy. But I think that's more in line with Korean comedy. But overall, from these first six episodes, I, I like the show a lot, and I'm very excited to finish it. it. There are only 12 episodes, and I don't think there's going to be a season two. So I'm excited to see what comes next after these first six episodes. Okay. And Levy, how about you? Some general feelings towards the show? This is the second uh, K-drama that I've watched. The first one being 
called The Sound of Your Heart, which is also on Netflix. Check that out if you'd like. There are two versions. Uh, this being the second, I guess this is my only real introduction into it. The first one that I watched, that first K-drama I mentioned, didn't really... It had the quirks and the cliches of a... and conventions of a K-drama. However, I guess this follows more beats of it, including like the sound effects, everything like that. It has the whole shebang compared to to the sound of your heart. Uh, overall, I liked it. thought it was slow in the beginning, or even just the first setting of uh, the 15 minutes. Didn't think I'd like it that as much as I did. Cried a few times. Yeah. Didn't think it would hit the heartstrings that much. Mm, definitely. We're pretty new to K-dramas. This is my first time watching a K-drama. I've watched some Korean movies, but then not TV shows. Yeah, I'm glad this was the first one I watched. I like the synopsis because it's weird. It's up my alley. So I think with like the 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 corniness, uh, it's like similar to like Filipino TV shows where they have like sound effects <laughs> mm, with right. their comedy, <laughs> if that, that makes sense. And it's like very exaggerated body movements uh, with like the uh, sound effects along with them. Yeah. Like like when they raise an eyebrow, it has like that sound effect. <laughs> yep. <So. laughs> It does that. So I guess like coming into it, I, I was already kind of familiar with the comedy. But like what was also interesting is that, like Levy said, gets you in the heart with all the things that it portrays, especially the circumstances of Boju, the, the spirit who has to like comfort all the spirits. I guess uh, maybe our next point for that is like, how do you feel about the story? Do you have your thoughts about the story? And we can move from there. So with the story, from the synopsis, it, I mean, I sounded... It sounded pretty interesting, but as we saw the story unfold in the first episode and we got to learn more about these different characters, I had a feeling that, you know, it was going to, as much comedy as there is, there's going to be a lot of emotion, especially, yeah, like you said, with Wolju, her story, her trauma as a child to now in her modern time, you know, there's a lot there to unpack. And each episode so far has been kind of slowly unpacking each trauma that she has, she's dealt with and like how it's still affecting her to this day so i'm i'm liking that that part of it i think what that's what's cool about the show is that she is very comedic but you can tell that she's kind of masking her her emotions through her comedy she's trying to like kind of put on a brave face and she doesn't really like to get emotional in front of her her team i guess unless you know circumstances arise but you know, overall, I'm liking the story. I, I like the world building that they're kind of doing with each episode. They're kind of explaining more about how the spirit world works, what the rules are. And I'm kind of liking those aspects of it. And yeah, overall, these first six episodes, I think it's paced pretty well. Episode six ended on a kind of a good uh, conflict. So that's why I'm excited to see where the story goes from there. It's a good point that you brought up the spirit world because currently that's where we are right now, right, folks? Yes. Like where we live right now, there was a uh, again, hence the name of our podcast, a power outage. So we wanted to, we really enjoyed the show and we wanted to talk about it. So we got our recording equipment, sent ourselves, walked down the path of light to the spirit world, and that's where we're recording right now. Sure. Uh, you might hear some spirits wandering around, you know, trying to condone for their sins or something. I don't know. There might be some wailing, but. Who knows? That's what the spirits are. Well, yeah. Levy, how do you feel? Uh, Storyline. Characters. Storyline. Uh, Very... I liked how they did it. How they brought in the flashbacks to further 
characterize Boju, and then they integrate it with the story. So basically every conflict that the episode is revolving around has to do with her past, and this is kind of where she she feels obligated, or she feels a connection to the other characters. I enjoy how they play them out because they end up going very heartfelt and not necessarily fairy tale, but it's a very comforting conclusion. I think uh, when we talked about this before, just to like get a field on the show, I think the show, if you were to like compare it or mash it up with something, it's like The Good Place meets Persona 5. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I, well, not much like The Good Place in terms of like the the philosophical meaning of what it means to like after life or the ethics of life not really like that but it's like you know people trying to deal with the circumstances of what happened when they were alive trying to amend it when they die that kind of aspect for the good place and persona 5 for the weird aspect of you know uh entering dreams (laughs) yes (laughs) entering people's psyches and trying to resolve it from there uh the setting from episode 4, the karma-centric episode with the lottery dream, that one's very similar to The Good Place from what I've seen. I've only watched maybe a few episodes of it. But when they talk about how karma basically is a currency, it's this whole this whole setting of the dream world and the afterlife. It's connected to the main wor- to the real world and the past. And then their karma had affected them. That's true. That was the quote, right? Like, money means nothing here. Mm. The currency is good deeds. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing we can trade here. I don't know if it's me, but I feel as I wrote down the summary, or I guess issue of each episode, I noticed that there's a pretty big jump from the first episode to the second uh, in regards to the topics and the settings. For sure, the first episode where we intro the whole world and the characters of the whole show, uh, it goes from like workplace harassment and sexual harassment, but then it goes to murder and this is the second episode with the adopted daughter and the mother with the past. I felt that was a very weird uh, contrast, or the jump from the the severity, I guess. What'd you guys think? I feel like I felt that contrast once we got to episode three, where, yeah, the first two are... Yeah, the first one, work, workplace harassment, was definitely, you know, kind of set the tone. But then, yeah, episode two, it kind of lessened. There was a murder, accidental, but still, it happened. But then by episode three, it became, you know, a guy, you know, hard on his luck with employment. I mean, a real issue as well. But it again, compared to the first two issues, it tamer, I would say. It, I did I did feel that contrast. But I, I think because this show is so comedic, if they kept dealing with darker issues, I felt like it, it, it would feel off. The tone would feel off sometimes. But yeah. I'm I'm liking the issues that they're dealing with. Like you said, they are kind of relating back to Wolju's past. So I I guess if they kept dealing with darker stuff, I I I felt like you know there's we're just gonna make Wolju such a very sad character. I mean she already is, but I don't know how much more they could impose on her. For me, I didn't feel the contrast for me because I think from the very first episode, I kind of knew what they were trying to do the the preview of the second episode was definitely a shock about like there's a murder there's a murder that happened but i but watching the episode i don't think the focus was a murder i think the focus was how one's actions led to somebody's downfall and then living with that for the rest of your lives trying to make amends i think that was the general theme for that episode 
that goes to the overall umbrella of this entire show where it's just talking to people that are just down on their luck probably issues that you all deal with on a regular basis uh to an extreme like whatever bad things that are happening to you right now you're at a point where you kind of need to have somebody to talk to about it and i think that's what the show is and that's from what the first episode was i personally didn't feel the contrast it was shocking but i don't think i didn't get that whiplash effect like oh that's uh that's out of place i don't think i felt that because i think that central thing of like trying to help people who are just down on their luck and they need that extra push is pretty consistent throughout the six episodes that we watched i wouldn't say the trend trans i'd say maybe the transition it's not so much the contrast or the weight of it it's, it's just it goes from a very current to like they're both guilt related the first two but then it goes to really deep-rooted guilt for the second episode where her past was completely haunting her it changed her whole position where how she treated her um adopted daughter she kept quiet about her cancer just everything and then you find out that she's a very redeeming mother even if that wasn't her overall intent from before i think maybe that's why they had that as a second episode because they were trying to resolve of like woju's issues not having like a closure with her own mother uh in her past so i think one i think they did a shock for the second episode just for to get people to watch the second episode and two as a nice tie-in to flesh out woju's past and like why she does the things she does why she thinks the way she thinks and also as a nice like litmus test for how kong bae that's how you pronounce the name kong bae like interacts with these spirits like how because he's such a he's a nice boy Mm. (laughs) he's such a nice boy and then you know i think it's just a great intro session for him to like oh kong bae like if you're gonna be working for us you're gonna be dealing with issues so how do you deal with this this is this is probably what we're gonna be dealing with for uh, the next you know 11 episodes (laughs) so i mean i did like the that that fact that kong bae for the second episode when they were trying to hire him, this was their first kind of like true test to see if he would fit for um, the Mystic Papa Bar mission. Was that you know he he Wolju was first against having to help the the main conflict in episode two because she was a murderer and the whole it ties back to her past where you know spreading lies, spreading rumors is what got her mother killed, and this is what the person in episode two kind of did. She was spreading lies, and it did get a person killed. So that I can we can understand why Wolju so against that. But then it's Kangbei who kind of makes her see like you know, people can change, people can take um, accountability for their actions, and know that they did wrong, even though they committed the wrong in the first place. They can learn to accept like, oh yeah, I that was my fault. I do feel guilty for that, and you know, it doesn't mean that people are irredeemable. So I like that aspect of um episode two i think it like episode two definitely sets up the dynamic for the the three workers at the pop-up bar yeah like i think it stays pretty consistent they obviously they do grow as a group together but it the episode two definitely like sets up the the entirety of like what we've watched so far up till episode six i think they wrote the characters pretty well they complement each other you have woju with this past and then she has this aggression towards humans that she carries on even though she has this goal that she has to fill this quota then you have chief gui who's just and he's kind of like rp ripd where he he's known for the love but he's also level-headed and then you have 
Kang Bei, who's the optimist, and he's clumsy, and he's the human that I guess Woju kind of needed to balance themselves out. So they make this trio of just, oh, they kind of complement and make up for each other's shortcomings. The second episode is them testing uh, the first heist. They're, they're oh, yeah, changing the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, changing mm-hmm. the heart. Like, okay, like, okay. I know we dipped in our toes to deep stuff, but then I think I mentioned before how that first episode was basically the first palace of Persona it 5. Is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> in tact, it's basically the same scenario. <laughs> yeah. Kamashita. So. Kamashita. Uh, I guess, like, maybe, I mean, I joke about it, but then it's, I think it's just how prevalent this issue is and then how how common it actually is um in our own daily lives uh, but i think that's what's great about this show is that they're able to talk about these kind of uncomfortable topics maybe not in the most nuanced way but enough for you to feel cathartic about them resolving it by the end uh, i definitely felt that by at episode three because even though it's like ridiculous trying to bring down a corrupt hotel system there's some catharsis in there that's like yeah, yeah. this dude that was down on his luck finally got it mm-hmm. <laughs> he finally deserved what he got i don't know if you you want to speak of, about like how that show is able to like tangle the uncomfortable situations while also having such a light-hearted tone with it i think if i mean i i get it i get like the light-heartedness because you know there's only 12 episodes there's the, these episodes are already an hour long i get it they're just trying to you know it's like a it's like a freak of the week kind of situation you have a problem deal with it and kind of move on so i can see like they don't want to delve too deep into these issues because after episode one we do see the victim in episode one throughout the next few episodes but like there's no like she doesn't address anything that happened to her and i think that's fine you know with the story they're trying to tell they don't want to get uh too dark with it they don't want to kind of address the issues anymore because you know what that's it's just one episode kind of deal i feel like if this was a kind of a a longer running series maybe they could kind of deal with these issues more kind of address them over each episode but i i i think just having a kind of checkmark lighthearted tone ending for the characters is kind of I, I, I guess I just see why they, they want to do that. They they just kind of want you to feel good about it at the end. Because I, I think, I'm trying to remember, like all these endings, they pretty much all end happy. Uh, there's no real true dark ending for one of the people they try to help. I'm, I'm interested to see if that will be the case for one of these episodes moving forward. If they reach a, a person that they truly just can't help and, you know, that person's just kind of locked out. Um, I hope they do address that further on. But I mean, yeah, for now, these the issues that they've dealt with, they just want to give you the moral. They can't really give you the moral if there's no like real resolution to any of these issues that they deal with. They kind of did it in episode six, no? Like where they helped somebody where and then they had the consequences of helping somebody, even though right. this whole the rules of this world is good deeds will help get you far in the spirit world. Well, that good deed led them to an arrest, I guess, yeah, by the end. So maybe they'll address it by it. Uh, Levy, how do you feel about how they intersect the lightheartedness and the uncomfortable situations? I, I feel like you can't. You have to have a, a level of realism in the show, especially because it's a K drama. They want to still focus on the relationship and romance aspect and the comedy there. I feel like if you kept the nuance of reality there, it, it's you're kind of forced to with the genre as it's called suspension of disbelief. 
you, you can't really I, f- I feel like the tone would be gen- generally darker and different i feel like it's not impossible to do but for what they have set up already with the characters as well i don't think they would want to take that turn but then again I'd, I'd like to see that further explored maybe in an, another show if just similar or if they were to do maybe a follow-up season i think what they have so far is fine yeah. and good in my eyes because the central focus is not necessarily the people they help in each episode it's woju trying to come to terms with how she feels about human beings and i think maybe that's the overall goal i know we can go to theory crafting at the end of this <laughs> but um i think her trying to understand that each human each case that she's going through is different is unique and it you kind of have to approach it differently. You can't just have like a, a broad strokes approach trying to deal with people's lives. And you kind of see that in like Woju because Kang Bei is a nice boy, but he's also a very naive boy. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and it's nice that you can see Woju like having, showing that experience of like, you can't just like help people by just helping them. You have to be very direct and very specific because if you're not that, then you can't really help anybody. I think that's what the vibe I get from her as a character. I guess my like my next question is kind of related because we talked about catharsis and all that. Uh, the actor for Kangbei, I forgot his name. Yok Song Jae. Yeah, okay. Yok Song Jae. I think I this is from the comments. I didn't actually search it up. It was in from like <laughs> from like an article or anything. But apparently, he described the show as a healing show. Mm. How do you feel about that descriptor for the show? And like, if if yes, if if you agree, why? If not why um well okay before i get into that question i just want to say um if any k-pop people are listening i feel like it's my duty to say that yok sung jay is a well was a member of the boy band uh b2 <laughs> i feel like i had to say yes. that um yes i uh, when i was watching the first episode i was like he looks like a k-pop boy band member <laughs> lo and behold when i searched him up he was <laughs> yeah um yeah i just i felt Mojo like is also uh Wojo was also in a K-pop band. She was oh, a... that I did not yeah. know. She looks like it. She looks like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, the uh, only Chief Gui, I think he's, like, actor-actor. Like actor. He looks like an action star. I think, I think so. he like, is. Well, this is I like, mean, he, those action scenes of him. This is him settling down. Uh, <laughs> kind of. Uh, the only uh, supplementary media I've seen of the three was maybe, like, a media video where all three of them are making uh, lunches or box lunches for each other. Oh, yeah. That, and there that was in my YouTube feed as well. Yeah, so I watched that, and I'm just like, whoa. So that's, that was when I first found out that Yok Sungjae is a, is a K-pop star. He's a singer, and then also just everybody else. And it's weird just to see them out of character, just because they do have chemistry, but they play it very well in the show. Um. So going back to the question of it, it being a healing show, I will say, like, because each episode deals with a different realistic issue... Yeah, there are, there are episodes that kind of hit you harder because you can kind of relate to them more. I think to me, the one that hit me more was episode five with the the guy with, um, I guess, dementia or Alzheimer's. Where, yeah. Or was he in know, denial? He, yeah, I he, think it was like dementia. Oh, okay. I think so that's it was, okay. the medical diagnosis. That yeah. Episode. So yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, so, you know, that, that, one, that one hits hard if you ever lost... A loved one um ju- and then just you know kind of that t- that whole episode was kind of a whole turn because what you find out about what he's actually dealing with it's 
he was dealing with the death, but then you kind of realize who the death is, and then also learning as dementia. There's just so much layers to that episode. So that one, that one hit me hard. And the ending they gave is, you know, kind of a sweet, sad ending. But you know, it's it's still it was still a good one. But I think with episode four, four, four's ending where Wolju literally looks at the camera. <laughs> And just breaks the fourth wall. <laughs> and it's like, wall, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She literally says to the uh, to the camera and to the viewers, you know, just check on check on the people in your life, communicate, you know, maybe just talking to them and seeing how they're doing is good enough. And uh, you know that I mean it is kind of cheesy, but I I felt like if she did that every episode, that'd be fine. But it just felt weird that like out of nowhere she just breaks the fourth wall. Because I think with each episode, they can look at the camera and say the moral. And you know what? Yeah, I, I'd still get it. But yeah, I agree. It is a healing show. There are things that you can relate to, and give it kind of gives you hope that is- these issues are can be solved. I think. Oh yeah, episode six had a good explanation to it, where it's like a, a spicy crispy chicken, where you just let things cool, and it'll get crispy, <laughs> and you know, it'll be better. So when you're dealing with issues, you know, just let things cool down. And they will be better. You know, it's so simple, but it's... Life is fried chicken. Hmm. Yeah. Or whatever you mean. Yeah, so I think, I think, I think, yeah, I agree it is a healing show. That's why I like it as well, because they deal with so many different issues. All realistic. You know, if you relate more to one specific one, it, it's, it's, it's help. It's clean, not cleansing. It's uh fulfilling to kind of see the better side of things. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad that how they handle dealing with the issues and seeing how how much you can learn from what they talk about and how the characters deal with certain things i i do agree with the the healing aspect of the show i feel the overall moral of each episode relates to a realistic theme or an issue that prevails in people's lives but the overall message of the show is essentially just to open up and be vulnerable uh i believe in the fifth or sixth episode maybe even the fourth but the fifth or sixth episode, the latest episodes that we've watched, they even mention a line about how the healing process kind of starts once you open up or once you get the ball rolling. And I feel like this whole show is, I guess, just what I'm getting from it is that there's so much great that comes out of being vulnerable and, I guess, opening up for your traumas and just hearing yourself out. Uh, it's I guess with each different topic, it's sort of kind of addressing the elephant in the rooms and destigmatizing them. I, I, I really enjoy it. I, I do think it's a healing show. Yeah, I think episode six kind of really hammers that home. Where I think I think they're thinking it. They don't say it out loud, but uh, Wolju says like, when you when you reveal more about yourself, and when people start to reveal things about themselves to each other, they can see that they relate more. They can see how much they can relate to each other because they start to open up and see that maybe they are dealing with the same issues. I'm paraphrasing it badly, but how they had how they talk about it in the sh- in that specific episode was pretty good. I liked how how it was uh, delivered and what was said during that moment because it, it it makes sense. Like you don't know what people are dealing dealing with until you open up and you know maybe they can relate. You feel isolated in your own thoughts, but once you kind of share it, you can see that people can sympathize, empathize with what you're dealing with, or are also dealing with it themselves. Yeah, I just wanted to get that out. That definitely like adds into like why I I also think it's a healing show. I think you already covered. Uh, a lot i say it's also like a healing show for the characters because they also have to go through things and i think 
helping these people as much as like it's kind of their job or quota i think it also heals them to you know understand different perspectives and like really really understand like how shitty it is to be living in this world (laughs) and because they are like spirits at this point they have like uh the two of them at the very least have like this almost immortal in our eyes view of like the world and it's nice one they have kang bay to like really ground themselves but also like having to having to deal with these people really heals them and like ground them to the human perspective and i guess from the viewer's perspective is also healing especially if i hit if an episode you relate to it in some way the show does a good job of like trying to resolve it in a way that's cathartic it's like yeah i needed that yeah and that really yeah that really speaks to like what levy said i was like once you start opening up about these problems and uh going for help because asking for help is obviously a brave thing to do it's a hard thing to do that was the i think the first episode does a good job mm-hmm. of like setting that up mm-hmm. once you open up and like once you ask for help like there are people who are going to help you and i think that's what really makes this show a, a nice healing show speaking of catharsis uh some episodes really seem to hit home i don't know why i don't know how they they get in there i don't know where they, they're coming and they're coming through my th- throat but what what episodes really stuck out to you guys or really settled it with you guys for me it's the third episode Oof. i think on a on a very personal level it hit me because <laughs> that whole episode was about a, a young man out of college <laughs> finding employment (laughs) oh like uh, i don't know whoever is listening my current status is that i just recently graduated and i'm also having a hard time finding a job so that episode really hit me hard i i think that's why i really like the show maybe not as nuanced but really trying to show every side of this situation because so much so much things of what he was going through and how he feels and how he uh, like feels with other people because of his status i definitely feel it as well like the pressure from your family uh the people you're close to feeling like if you go out or uh, when we can go out sure but like uh we're dating this episode <laughs> uh, uh like feel like going out with other people who are paying for you consistently even though you know like you wish you can pay them back the favor of like treating them to a nice meal or something but you just can't do it because you're constantly getting rejected and like oh okay i gotta okay look when he was working like in in his store and then he was like he saw the email and it's talked about his uh his application thing if he got through or not and then he scrolled it down very slowly and then the words just said we are looking for other candidates or something like that I had to pause the episode <laughs> and I was like no <laughs> I was like oh, this is too real I <laughs> this is too sad even right now I'm kind of get teary eyed I'm like Ooh. I get it yeah it's like that whole episode just teared me up that entire sequence of him just like so down on his luck even having to break up with his girlfriend because like he just feels like he's so he's so inadequate and I think that's I think really uh speaking of who is currently like this I think that's the <laughs> overwhelming feeling that you get when you're unemployed is that feeling of inadequacy because you tie so much of your of so much of your life trying to find a job but then now you're you just can't and that inadequate feeling just is just there and I think that that episode that that sequence of that episode really showcased that very well. I have like other episodes I want to talk about but I'll I'll throw the mic to both of you. 
I'm gonna jump in because um, the third episode you prefaced before that you it hit a a, a heart string with you a chord, and it 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 did a C to chord, me. Yeah. It it did to me, but not in the same way. More specifically towards the I guess the romance side, the whole the if you're fixing on the the whole uh relationship aspect, where he felt like he didn't want to feel burdened by his girlfriend who was clearly at least stable or fine. And she was okay with it, but he just couldn't help felt feel guilt or just burdening her and feeling that he's not good enough for that. And that was just like, oh, ooh. Um, yeah. <laughs> His girlfriend was a real one. Mm, actually. Mm-hmm. Actually. Yeah. That, the whole scene where she's like, yeah, we're going to go home to eat in front of the other two richer, successful couple. And it's like, ah, mm-hmm. ah, yo, mm, she's a ride or die. Paying Shots his her. rent? Mm. Like, come on. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, and that's after they broke up. Oh, I was yeah. like, no, <laughs> no, I was, I was bawling my eyes out. I'm just like, why? <laughs> I don't need this. But at least I am in this picture, and I'm offended. <laughs> yes, yes, I don't like this. I don't like this. They, they, they went to my life somehow. They wrote it down and they posted. It. And I, I feel like at least what really cheesed me, um, at least related to the whole perfect candidate thing, because he, he was ready and he was prepared. And then at the end of the day, it was just nepotism that lost him the job. And it's just like, wow, that's really how the world works. And that's where a lot of, I guess, advancements in hiring comes from. Uh, not probably to that degree, but it's it's there. And it sucks. Oof. <laughs> Ryan, take the mic, please. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, that's kind of where I relate more. Where I mean, I get it. Networking is so important these days, but... You know, sometimes just you you may not have the right connections, but you are great for the job and you just don't get it because you you just don't have those specific connections that can nail you the job. So I I, I can relate to that um, a little bit. And yeah, yes, it it is. It was a very sad episode, Um, you know, speaking earlier to how it is a, a contrast between the first two, but it still it still hits hard because of just I mean, our ages were were all around his age so we're all kind of like dealing with what we know what what he's dealing with and we can relate to almost every aspect of what he had to deal with in this episode so it, it <laughs> wow boy, this is, yeah. now more than this is down it right now <laughs> yeah honestly now more than top top two saddest scenes in the show <laughs> that whole sequence of him top two and it's it's pretty fitting for the time now especially for the time now where we're recording this where we're talking from inside our homes and not together yeah. yeah, that's why we're in the spirit world, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I will say that there were highlights to that episode where you get, you guess, you had the comic comedic relief of um, Kangbei when he started speaking English and when they were in the dream world, and they had <laughs> the whole interview process, and it was nice too because you got uh, to see uh, I forgot the dude's name, but when he was nailing everything, you're just like, wow, like yo, he's prepared, he's clearly for it, and he's about it. And he's done his research. Uh, it made his his him not getting the job all the more, I guess, uh, bittersweet. But then the resolution at the end still just made it like, oh, okay, yeah. I I cried a tear when that phone call from him, that final phone call at the end of the episode. I was like, yes. <laughs> and then they're eating in the restaurant back together. I'm like, yes, yeah, love like, still exists. <laughs> love still exists. <laughs> Uh, Ryan, was that your episode, or was there another one? Did you um, I, I spoke a little bit about it earlier, but I mean, episode four, I think, hit me the hardest. Mm-hmm. Just seeing seeing this this guy, um, kind of first, he, you know, we think he's just kind of dealing with the death of his mother, but then 
you know there there was a lot of twists and turns in this episode i I didn't really see coming until it happened but we kind of learned episode five episode five yeah i was about to sorry yes episode five my bad my bad (laughs) yes sorry i no, I didn't binge it, but like these episodes kind of blend so much together that I forget where these things it's happen. But good. yeah, sorry, episode five is where um yeah we see this guy where he's kind of uh he's he's subtle like it, it's so subtle, but like he kind of forgets certain things um and you know it's kind of in- affecting his performance at work um even his quote unquote social life. He goes home early, um he's just alone most of the time. You know, we learned that he has this wandering spirit following him, which kind of brings in the the mystic pop up bar gang because uh the department head or death, uh, death yom, uh he he kind of tasked them with this mission to deal with that wandering spirit, and we which, learned that which Ryan uh which Ryan you're you work closely with right because you're the indecisive spirit. Oh yeah, so many people just so you know. A lot of indecisiveness can lead to death. So, uh, <laughs> 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 not lie, that's me when I'm indecisive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, you know, so yeah. So you're yeah, speaking me. from experience. You know, oh, yeah, the yeah. wandering spirits are like yeah. he's almost done. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, you. I I mean, I guess I'll. I don't. I don't. I don't want to spoil it if people do end up watching it. I mean, there, there's a lot that we spoiled, but like, I feel like that one, that one, I'll, I'll just keep away, but. I just not personally relate to his issue, but I can I feel for for people like that who you know have who have dementia who can't remember small moments with people, and you know that's one of the many things I worry about if I ever grow old, where you know you just kind of lose these memories, and you 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 know you forget these moments with uh, your loved ones, and it doesn't matter if it's. The big moments are the small ones. The small ones make those big ones worth it. Make make life worth it. So, you know, uh, yeah. Stop! It, I'm um, gonna cry. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's that's why someone take it from here. But yeah, that that episode just really uh, hit hard. I will say that uh, an episode that didn't really that that struck the hard courts, but on a more positive note and not so depressing, or I guess more so just hopeful, uh, was the actual episode four. Not the one Ryan <laughs> yeah. misidentified. Uh, the one about the lottery dream and the whole aspect of karma. It was nice to see, first off, hey, the whole generational wealth and, I guess, escaping poverty. It's it's a toughie. But then also seeing someone who, I guess, worked hard. And he, it was nice to see how lighthearted his character too was. The uh, the dude who did win, uh, Jin Dong's uh, great ancestor. He had he had the techniques down in the in that weird one legged fight thing, uh, karate kid moment. Yeah, yeah he had his exactly. Moment. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then also too, just the whole year, the ramf not ramifications. The the elements of the good deeds you do in your life they accumulate, not so necessarily like in the good place where it's kind of a currency, or not even in here where it's in a bag that you can just I guess trade and save people. I guess. Uh, yeah. It's it's nice to see that's just they take that route that's just like oh we still care about doing well and just being good to each other. Speaking to that, uh, I have like before I get on to like my the other two episodes I was thinking of, but speaking to like the good deeds thing, I think maybe this is the cynic in me, but the one that uh, the one person who was like wealthy and good deeds. I thought she was gonna do like a heel turn, being like, Ooh, I oh. actually kind of need these to <laughs> oh. move on." Mm-hmm. But it's very nice that she did not do that, and then it was it 
compounded more into like her relationship with Jin Dong's grandmother when she mm-hmm. visited her in the dream, seeing like, no, there are good people in this world. And even after death, they're willing to help you because of how you meant to them. I was like, that's a really nice message to show. It was also cool too that she used she transformed it into a Rasengan or spirit energy, <laughs> and then she used it as like Benge or um, yeah. Voltaren, and she's just yeah. like, "I, right, you're you're healed. Your your back is healed." She starts dancing. Yeah. yeah, it's just like yeah. I guess like the message of the show is anime can save your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just you know you need some Rasengan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need to power up sometimes. You literally need to power up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Speaking of the, like the other two episodes. Uh, I think episode 5 and episode 6 are like the slowest burns in mm. two different ways. Like episode 5 was that slow burn of like slowly figuring out why he's acting like the way he is and like why the wandering spirit is like that. And the mm-hmm. payoff of it was oh that that thing when he was in the boardroom and when everything starts clicking like oh yeah. I felt oh I <laughs> was like I need to pause this episode that and it was like <laughs> oh yeah no once he once he just kind of when he left the room and he was like outside and yeah everything's clicking and you just see the yeah. flashes and just the acting at first off and that and in that scene was like wow you know you can really feel the pain that he's going through as he's starting to realize more and more things and then for episode six it's a slow burn because like it doesn't just get any better before mm-hmm. nope. <laughs> before the, like the heist, the actual heist. Like we talked about Persona Five, but like they actually had a heist. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I will mention two things. Uh, so for, for episode six, the whole farting scene where they're trying to <laughs> infiltrate. I'm just like, okay, this is where like I guess the Asian exaggeration comes in. It's I guess it's akin to Filipino um sitcom acting but it was just like i'm like oh okay yeah it's nice to know that they, there's times when they really don't take themselves so seriously they really don't and then some of them were like i don't know if they were breaking character but you can definitely see them oh. smiling oh yeah yeah it's <laughs> like this this episode is also still about infertility but yes we'll we'll do this oh uh, i was just saying like uh like the slow burn because like it just doesn't get any better for this couple <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's like so heartbreaking to mm-hmm. see they're they're trying so hard and then the husband another real one like the hus- <laughs> husband's sur- a real one <laughs> i will say i'm surprised it didn't take that route that you said where for the other episode where it could have went sour where he's just like oh maybe it's a, gonna be a marriage story type thing or you know they just he just wow. caves in but no it's just it's just like oh okay it's just like good and it's nice and it's just like he's he's aware and akin to not sorry akin, he's aware of his partner's feelings and he's just like no like yeah, he's, he's still trying to be supportive no matter what. And it's just like, oh, damn. Like uh, the thing with uh, when he was with his wife in their bed, just like talking it through. And he was like, you look sick. Like, we can't keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. But that whole scene was happening. I was like, I gotta know. Like, you a real one. I don't know your name because I can't. I'm bad at names. but <laughs> I can't say it. Yeah, this whole this whole six episodes. Uh, they like to roller coaster. They, they also like to tell you, like, there are real ones in this world, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 It's just about finding them. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, speaking of, like, real ones and all about just finding them, we haven't mentioned about Yo Rin yet. Or Yao Rin? I, I don't know how to pronounce her name. But I don't know the either. bodyguard who, who, are, who is not susceptible to Kang Bei's powers. Oh, I don't know. We should have just mentioned that. People yeah. have powers in this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, Woju is a spirit who, if they drink a magical elixir, they are able to enter the dreams of that person to resolve them, any guilt or anguish they have. Kang Bei has a special spiritual power where if people touch him, uh, they're able to open up about their innermost doubts and feelings towards him. Uh, hence, that was like the whole inciting incident with the whole show is that Kang Bei is able to help Woju achieve her, was it 1 million? 100,000? 100,000. Yeah, 100,000 um, alleviated souls. Yo, Rin, on the other hand, is different. She also has a spiritual power where. I guess it's like negating other spiritual powers. Power because... of gout. <laughs> oh, power of gout. That was a funny thing because I have gout and I was like, oh my god. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Yeah, just tying that back to my opening quote. That's that's where my opening quote's from. It's from the, the gout lovers uh, tagline. <laughs> why, do I, why do we hurt so much the closer we get? Honestly, I was laughing at that, but I also had this <laughs> existential dread that's like, is this what extreme gout is? That people just don't... <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I, I I'm not that familiar with gout, but I'm pretty sure if you I, I, is it that serious where even touching even the air can affect you? Uh, I think maybe that was just probably played up for jokes, but uh, I don't know. A little part of me was like, I hope it's not like that because <laughs> I have that. There's a subtext at the bottom that says this is no real representation. <laughs> Consult your doctor. Yeah, <laughs> I I will say that I like the writing of the um the fallies the fallacies or I think it's a fallacy the the follies of each person's power. You have mm. uh, Woju who has the power to heal, but she hates humans. Uh, you have Chief Kui who has like physical power and he can fight, but he's not in the situation to. You have yeah. Kang Bei who can't really control who opens up to him, so he has to be selective about it. And then you have uh, Yorin who doesn't she repels kind of naturally yet she she wants to attract somebody a love interest it's yeah her power is interesting because i mean she's also not aware of it like how kongbei is she she can kind of piece together that she has something about her when in episode six where we learn that every time she confesses her love to people and then when they have contact with one another, then they repel. Because we see her, I mean, she's literally a bodyguard. And we've seen her touch multiple people in different episodes. So it doesn't, it really only works when she confesses her love to them, it seems. Um, but also in episode four, we see her walk through um, death. And he kind of gets a negative energy from that. So it's, 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 it's interesting to say, like, what her power really is and how it works. And I I feel like I mean, it's kind of leading that way, you know. Where where does Kongbei and Yaorin's powers come from? Where does it stem from? Is it is it their ancestors? Is it something else? So I'm I'm curious to to see more of that and see how it all relates. I guess if we're gonna talk about Yaorin, I'll put it out there how y'all feel about her. But I want to talk about her relationship with Kongbei, and <laughs> I think. It's the weakest storyline, <laughs> to be honest. I think I think there's like three central narratives of like each episode. Before Yaorin was uh, introduced, it was just Kangbei trying to like his life, his daily life. But then now it's become like Kangbei trying to like be with Yaorin and all that, uh, trying to you know be friends with her. And then the other one is like the other storyline is like Woju's relationship with humans and like her trying to meet this quota. And then her 
growing relationship with Chief Gui. And then the third one is obviously like the 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 monster of the week, the the case of the week storyline of what they're trying to solve. And I think out of all those three, I just don't think Yo Rin and Kang Bei's storyline is as strong as the other two. Maybe because it's just new with the whole like dancing thing, like they're trying to connect with each other. But I just feel like it's like I am just waiting for this scene to end before <laughs> before like, oh, let's get to the good stuff. Let's get the stuff that makes me cry. Let's go. <laughs> I, I will say, though, however, in regards to the relationship, it does seem weak. But I do feel like as comic relief or I guess a, a break f- from what's going on, it's it's used well. So say even just how they met or how awkward Kangbei was, literally the quote, not paraphrasing of course but he's just like oh when i touched you i felt nothing kind of <laughs> yeah. insisting something else and you're just like oh <laughs> of course uh <laughs> he'd say that but then also i guess they use it as a plot device so it's for plot device and as fan service it's just like you're giving them what they want to see but also it kind of ties the whole story from when her first appearance was in the third episode when she was the security guard for the hotel manager or hotel tycoon to then the sixth episode where their motivation is they're trying to win a dance competition which brings up the infertile woman which is the dance teacher i guess i can agree yeah it is the weakest i i I personally i don't mind it i think what i don't mind more is just the dance competition aspect i i just don't see where this could lead i felt like that's not necessary to the overall plot unless something happens at the dance but for all i know nothing will and the fact that it's still kind of I think it's like three episodes worth spent talking about this dance competition. It feels like I like to see more of their not re- I guess relationship, not as crushes or whatever. Just seeing how they can relate to one another with their issues or with their powers specifically. But I I do like in I think episode five where we kind of you know we it's it's a natural kind of. Uh, attraction towards one another where you know they they stand up for the blind man who's getting um complained about by yeah yeah berated by someone just because he has a a a seeing eye dog you know um that that moment was nice i yeah i guess like i agree that it is the weakest out of all the storylines that are running right now i'm more so interested in her powers than her relationship with Kangbei, but I, I guess like this is the only natural way to make it flow without her either just joining the team outright. But you know, it's who it could change um, once this dance competition is done. I think too once we develop that relationship between them, you'd also be able to see okay, what can we integrate? So say if they're having uh, some troubled or I guess messy waters where they're trying to figure out the relationship or they're fighting and seeing how that could affect the dynamic between the group if she does join. Yeah, because for all we, she, she, like, I, I forgot that, like, she still thinks that they work for the CIA. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I completely started on that on the whole. Yeah, Chief Gui has transforming powers. He's, he yeah, we forgot to mention that. <laughs> oh, there's so much to the show. So, yeah, let's, uh, I mean, there's, there's some theory crafting that we can do here. There are some loose ends that we could probably connect because we haven't seen the other six episodes. The one question in my head is, Chief Gui, he's the prince, right? Like that's like that's what I'm getting at. Mm. I feel like they're faking it out with like them showing that when uh, Woju was like taking care of Kang Bei when he was sick, and they flash back to the prince. But I'm like, some clues 
could be Chief Gui because Chief Gui was like, I was a nobleman, I can write. And like that whole thing about like, I want to be the person that, that something like that you need. Yeah. The same thing the, the prince said in the past. It's weird though because of the whole dynamic that they had when they were young to, to how they're characterized now. I don't think she's aware that he's the prince. I think she doesn't know, but he knows. Oh. But there's there's that moment in episode six I, when she brings up her mother and he has like a weird look when she when she brings up the mother i mean i'm not saying she is the mother he is the mother but like there's something there i i I don't know i i feel like they wouldn't have put an emphasis on like they wouldn't have shown him react so distinctly when she brought up her mother my my, yeah my running theory was that he was the prince but then after that whole thing in episode six i'm not that sure anymore i'm still thinking he's the prince because he brought up he was a nobleman in his previous life and who was a nobleman the prince (laughs) But wouldn't he have some memory? Or is it if it's just because she, he doesn't have any, like, full-on mystical ties like she well, does? Well, that's what I'm saying. I think he okay. knows. But okay. she doesn't know. Okay. That's Yeah. Because when we flash back to the prince after Wolju kills herself as a child, he says that I will... I will find you once... I will find you again, even if it's as someone else. Something like that. Yeah, in the tree. Or, like, uh, what you call it? The, the best friend, quote-unquote, stalking yeah. the pop-up bar. He was like, I found you, prince, or something like that. Oh. Yeah, I found you, your highness. <laughs> it could either be Kang Bei because that's what they're alluding to, but I also feel like it's, you know, Chief Gui over there. Yeah. I don't know what his issue is with uh, with Wolju, because even w- when they when they flash back to their first meeting but between the friend and Wolju, they're like, he has a... He's like, he's just angry. Uh, Wolju just... <laughs> I'm just like, where's this coming from? <laughs> I mean, I get... I. I would assume he, unless it's just the basis thing of like he just hates that she's a lowly person in in their society. But I feel like there's something else there, especially because he's roughly still the same age, so he is some sort of spirit thing. I will say this: it might not might not be true because you don't see it a lot. But the best friend loved the prince, didn't like it that he oh, loved someone. I mean, else. I would love that turn as well. <laughs> I mean, this I'm. Is 2020. Uh, I'm always. When I'm me. always shipping for best friends to become gay lovers. So yeah, that is ties this... into a, a thing okay. later on. Well, I'm. Uh, I'm assuming that's what it is, or it could be like a more reasonable. Not reasonable, more obvious answer where it's uh he just didn't like how he was marrying somebody who's not royalty. Mm. Yeah. Which is like the boring answer, right? <laughs> yeah, that that that's why I don't want to say that it's just that, but maybe it's boring. Maybe it's because of he heard the rumors too, because the whole it was the whole talk of town. I think that's the only like loose end that I can think of, like that whole who's this guy, <laughs> who's the stalker, <laughs> who's that. Um, there's another one that I want to bring up is like what was on the scroll that made Wolju can reconsider, um, oh, having to do yeah. the punishment. Because, yeah, we see her as a child talking to the underworld empress. And uh, she says, like, you know, it's either you do this punishment. No, it's she She, she doesn't even give her the option. She says, you're going to do this punishment. But Wolju says, no, I'd rather spend, like, eternity in the underworld and just give me the torture there. But the queen, the empress of the underworld, gives her a scroll. She reads it. And <laughs> she grows up to be the present-day Wolju. And she just says, yes, I'll do it. And she's just very sad at that at what she read so i mean i'm curious as to what really made her change her mind i'm assuming has to do with the prince but i don't know maybe her mom i was i was gonna say like we should show it to somebody who 
can read Korean. But I also felt <laughs> like we saw those. We saw the writing, right? It just didn't get translated. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, like, I feel like it, it's is, not. Yeah, was I, it gibberish? Because <laughs> like <laughs> Korean lorem ipsum. Or we should so. show it to somebody who can read Korean, so okay. <laughs> we'll know. We have some options. Uh, I was gonna say like maybe it's a choice of like what was it like a secret or what? Like what do you? What were you thinking, Ryan? I was thinking well before the flashback where we saw that the prince sees the tree and you know he vows to find Olju again. I I thought it's like. The prince was one of the hundred thousand people that died initially, and you know she wants to, I don't know, give his spirit some. Like I don't know, I felt like by helping these hundred thousand people, these people that died initially are will be will be given a, a better life or something. I don't know. I felt like it was something like that. But after we saw that the prince uh, did make it out alive, after Wolju well, killed herself, I felt like I don't know anymore. Uh. I be- well, I feel like it's still pretty reasonable, or it's just everybody's thinking. I, like, they've already alluded to it. The uh, romance finally coming through. The prince is going to somehow come in, or Gui is essentially going to wife her up, you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't know in regards to, like, an overarching story after, like, say, like past the dance competition. And, like, once we get closer. I don't know. How, but how do you guys feel about the... We have six episodes left. I think they were kind of timing it out with, like an episode of person so then they she'd probably reach her quota by the end of the season Where, what do you think it goes from there or how it goes there i think she'll reach the quota i mean i don't i don't i feel i would hope that she reaches the quota by the second episode if not but the second last episode if not maybe the third last just so the last episode's kind of whatever big finale they have and kind of an epilogue to all the storylines that they have set up because then if they reach the quote at the last episode, I feel like that has to be such a big moment or a big whatever issue they're dealing with has to be a big one to kind of wrap everything up. Unless one of the people that they have to help is someone very close to them, someone very tied to their storylines. Um, but besides that, that's where I see that going. That's where I was going as well. Like it has to be a big one. So like my two leading things of how she's going to get that last one. It's either she's going to help Kang Bae in some way or her final one. It's going to be like, oh, I've helped like three other people. Why hasn't like the the counter gone up? And then the Empress will be like, the last person you need to help is yourself. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I was, thinking, <laughs> I, I was thinking it might be that too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's the last person you need to help. And it's like her resolving her issues with the living realm. So yeah, that, those are my two leading things. Okay, if you if you're if you're going on that where it's she's healing herself, who knows? Maybe if there's an allusion to the prince and he has a similar power or he has some type of power, maybe he has it's similar to Kongbei, and maybe that's where I guess you have the payoff of all her frustration resolved, where she's just like, oh, I I do understand the true nature, or I don't. I'm finally coming to the realization that why I shouldn't be mad at humans or that. They're not as bad as they think. <laughs> like, very cliched. Well, I think we can leave off our theory crafting for that because we do have six episodes. So before we leave transition, uh, final thoughts. My final... Your one sentence about these first six episodes. Sarangyo. Hmm. What? Did you love it? Did you use that with your... Yeah. Love. 
Love is the answer. Mm. Hope the next six episodes don't make me cry as much, if not a little more. Yes, you do. Uh, mine is, if you want to be healed, watch this show. What a therapy. Or, uh, or yeah, if, on that line, uh, it's cheaper to just watch the show <laughs> than go to therapy. Uh, there you go. There you go. Uh, uh. Right, how about um, you? Your, your sentence. He's living up to his name. <laughs> yeah, you are the it's indecisive so, spirit. Yeah. I'm very indecisive. I mean, I could just go off that and just be like, if you want to feel, you watch this show. Um, really makes you feel. Like Persona 5. Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. We got that out of the way now. So, folks, how about we unplug for a bit? We, this segment, it's called Unplugged. We're just going to talk about the things that, you know, we've been keeping up with that's outside of Mystic Pop-Up Bar. Because we also like other things. Us being spirits and all that. The indecisive spirit also likes the spirit of America. That's why he's going to talk about. <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Ryan, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the... American Eagle show. Um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, I'm a Marvel fan, so of course I wanted to check this out. And this is the second uh, Marvel show that come on Disney+. And going into it, um, there's a lot of advertisements for the bicker and relationship between the title characters. But I wasn't expecting how real and emotional it would get uh, with its episodes. You know, seeing, you know, the big arcing thing is, is Sam worthy to be Captain America? Is America ready for a black man to wield the shield? And they, the show gets into that through one of its characters, um, Isaiah Bradley, who is a character from the comics. And it's played well by uh, Carl Lumley. He's done a lot of voice work. and But, I mean, he's also such a phenomenal actor as well. Without going too much into it, I think overall the show, you know, touches on those things pretty well. I think that's one of the more emotional thrusts of the show is dealing with um, dealing with Sam's is Sam, is it necessary for Sam to be Captain America or do we just put a white man in this in the, in the suit and you know the show also deals with that like the government choosing to put a white man as Captain America and seeing the ramifications of that the the effects of that going into the show I'm I wasn't like too keen on these two characters, I mean, I, I like them in the movies, but I I think what I really like about these sh- this and WandaVision, it, it gives it gives a lot of more uh, background and more emotional moments with uh, their title characters, characters that probably wouldn't get these moments in the movies, but I'm glad that they devote all this time in a show for them. So, uh, Anthony Mackie sweats charisma; he's great in the role. I I like what they gave him to work with. I think he is very well suited to be the next Captain America, and in the in the show in the universe and in real life, he does have an uphill battle to deal with, you know, the government and deal with the 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 world in the Marvel universe. People's reactions to seeing a black man as Captain America, as well as in the our world outside of the spirit world that we're in right now, where 
you know, people are going to have some sort of negative reaction to seeing a black man in the Captain America suit as their new hero. It will have, you know, it will hit people like how Black Panther affected, you know, people, but it also, you know, bring on negative fans, uh, reception and reactions. But overall, I think the show did it well in transitioning Sam to that because if you go from the, the ending of Endgame to just transitioning him to his own movie, I feel like you're missing a big chunk of Sam's journey to become Captain America. And I felt like this show kind of provided that that process for Sam. Like, Sam's not just going to do it. He's still reluctant. He's still indecisive to become Captain America. So I really like that. And Bucky's storyline, I, I enjoyed. Didn't, I wish they dealt with it more, but I felt like Sam's was the main focus because of the role he's about to take on. But I felt like Bucky, you know, he had some emotional moments. Sebastian Stan is really great. He has a lot of emotional scenes because of the trauma he had as the Winter Soldier and having to kind of re repent and make amends with people that he's harmed in the past as the Winter Soldier. So seeing his journey to kind of accept that and become his own hero and his uh become a hero in his own right was really good as well. Overall, I think you know, th- those two characters do it well, but there are a lot of issues that I have with the show, with its villains, with its plot threads. I felt like with the six episodes, there was just too much thrown at, at it and it didn't feel as tight and the finale didn't feel like a the best conclusion because it, it leaves a lot of things off. I know because they're trying to set up other projects, but I felt like as a show, it just left a lot of loose plot threads and things just didn't feel as impactful as I wanted to. They kind of felt rushed at the end. But I still enjoyed it overall. It's I would probably put WandaVision over this as a show just because it's tighter um, and there's more emotional moments there with the, with the characters. But I still would recommend people to check this out. I think it's worth, um, you know, worth worth it if you're if you like watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I I also watched the show, and I think coming into it, I was like, okay, this is another one of these. <laughs> it's uh, let's see, let's see how it goes. Especially because it's uh, because you brought up how like uh, Sam trying to be Captain America. I believe that's is also his struggle in the comics when he became captain america yes right yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, emulating that but i think my major concern coming into it was the same uh criticism i had with like the previous show wandavision is that i hope they don't meander and i hope they also have well-developed villains well i can safely say they did both <laughs> i like it's six episodes but it felt like if you just if it felt like watch the first two episodes and then the last two episodes you have your story <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, cause like the flag smashers, like they again, like it leads alludes to what you said. Like they throw a lot at you. The flag smashers, Zemo, uh, other things. Power broker. Uh, power broker. Wow. <laughs> Sharon Carter. Power broker. Spoilers, but like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you 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 see it coming pretty early on. <laughs> so you see from far away. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do like those two characters what you mentioned like falcon and the winter soldier like how they delve deep into their own personal lives and what that translate to their own hero identity i guess like sam trying to be this new symbol and his struggle for that and it's not sebastian what's his actual what's his character no name? yeah sebastian stan yeah oh oh, oh you mean bucky barnes <laughs> yes yeah bucky Bar- yeah, bucky like trying to not be the winter soldier anymore but he has to accept that he was the winter soldier and him trying to move on from that which you kind of get some closure by the end. 
but I also do agree like this show like WandaVision at a lot of times it's very obvious feels like a setup rather than like we're doing a show uh it's mm-hmm. just a sh- it feels like some parts of the sh- episodes are like we're setting up for other properties we're so which is like what you get out of Disney Marvel stuff that's kind of the trade-off you gotta get when you're watching these things but I think for the most part I still did enjoy it but like what you said Ryan I think WandaVision's a better storyline and I think once episode three hit, I was like, can't wait for Loki. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before we move on? Um, Not not real. I mean, I'll just wrap up. Like, the action is, is can be hit or miss. Um, I, You know, when I talked to Kent before about the action, he brought up how it's a lot of high, high pace, fast-paced camera movement. And episode six was definitely a lot of that. It's kind of hard to see what was actually happening um yeah there's there's a lot of thoughts with episode six for that there's not enough time for that um <laughs> but yeah i think overall you know it's i think it's worth watching i feel like for people for some people who skipped out on wandavision this is more in line with what they like but i think just the heart of it is is there i think it's worth it just for the for the emotional moments, you know, it promises it, it advertises a lot of action, but what you really stay for is the emotional moments with Sam, with Bucky, and just what they have to deal with. You know, if you haven't watched it already, all six episodes are out, so it's there for you now. Definitely. It's on Disney Plus. I will definitely watch it now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking of struggling with identity and how you can put that to action, Levy, let's talk about Chainsaw Man. Other than my, uh, my illusion of, uh, the, out of glizzies uh we, we speak about uh chainsaw man which is a manga that i've been reading i finally caught up and completed the 97th chapter where i last was which was about halfway through and who it's uh it definitely definitely a a good piece of shonen manga storytelling and everything it's i like how it sets a similar tone to what's currently out which is um horror shonen where it's this subgenre where it's we are doing shonen elements or topics we're, we're doing fighting we're doing all this but then at the same time too we're putting gore and horror to further the story uh past chapter 70 or 80 who it just it just keeps going up just keeps going up and oh i just, it just there's just this hole in my heart because it's just like what do i do now uh good thing is that yes the last recent chapter chapter 97 uh, came out a while ago, but it's not the end of the the whole series as a as a whole. It's only just the first part, which was the public safety chapter that has ended. So it's nice to see that the world's still developing, and it's nice that he used the mangaka, the author, uh, Fujimoto. He used that uh, ambiguity and that vagueness to his ability, and yeah, he just he kind of reconciles his own self, uh, where you see certain characters be resurrected or revived. They can't really die. And ooh, just can't can't get enough of it. Uh, I'm excited because they are they are adapting it to a anime by one of my favorite current studios, which have has been getting a lot of hype for other works. Two hot anime of the season, both Attack on Titan final season part one and Jujutsu Kaisen. And the story is very similar in regards to. And it's funny because I never really put it together until like the last few chapters. The translation that I read it compared itself. I'm not sure if it was him himself, Fujimoto, or somebody else, maybe an editor, 
who basically compared it similarities to Jujutsu Kaisen, another horror uh, horror manga slash anime, and Doro Hedoro, which both I've been into and I've watched the anime. So it's it's nice. It felt like a natural progression to get to this, and then you you start seeing the parallels. But what overall I guess sells this uh, story is that it's it has dark humor. It's there's core elements really differentiate it. When you have the end of the chapter where it makes sense for any manga, especially it was part of a uh, Shonen Jump, which was a weekly serial. Is it weekly? Can't. What was it? It's weekly. It's a weekly serialization of manga. Yeah, it, it seems to f- fit that framing or beats where by the end of the chapter, it's just the setup for another. Uh, which I have read online that it's he seems to take the horror aspect and then merge it into the Shonen Jump uh, formula. At least when it comes to pacing. Overall, yeah, I just loved it and. Oh, this is the the art's very. You you can't not want. You, you should read this. I I feel like even still, it's gonna look beautiful, especially trusting it with Mappa to animate it. Uh, the the art itself, it's so beautiful. It's very fitting. He does a lot of very sick composition shots where he has a lot of panel breaks involving a devil or a devil's power. There's one specific devil. I forgot his name. Uh, the fox devil, where they do like a like the fox shadow. And then basically off panel, in a panel break, it's um, a part of the body that they summon of this fox double. And it's just so clever, and the art's just amazing, and it's just so sick. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that plays into the, the rules of like getting a contract with the devils. Because mm-hmm. the fox devil is actually one of the most common devils that they can have contracts with. That's why like the fox parts are in different body parts of a person, because that fox demon is like willfully having multiple contracts with different people. All I will say is that this manga does seem like the story revolves around cool character designs because um, they're all very distinct and very their powers are very distinct as well. Most of the the most powerful devils revolve around some aspect of hell or I guess fear, which powers the devils. So far, like the the whole horsemen of the apocalypse devils are the weapon ones, including Chainsaw Man, which is very sick. All I will say is that all my homies hate Makima. <laughs> Um, <laughs> girls are disgusting. They want, only want one thing and one thing only. Denji's heart. Chainsaw Man's heart. Uh, yeah. You, you can't miss on, on this. I think this is quintessential current shonen you should be reading. I'm glad that it's not going to be in the print shonen jump. It's going to be the digital side. So I feel like the restrictions of being in a print magazine is going to be lifted from the author. Uh, just because I think shonen jump plus... Uh, doesn't have that same kind of restrictions where their demographic they have to target of like uh, 10 to 12 year olds if anything kaiju number eight and like spot uh spy family shows that like shonen jump plus has like a variety of genres and can't wait to see what chainsaw man does with its new space that it's in ryan would you would you read this um well i was about to mention um you haven't really described a okay. story i was i, was, <laughs> I would actually love it i would love to okay so uh, Chainsaw Man revolves around. Oh, so the setting is a world where devils exist, and it's very similar to, or you can see the influence of uh, Jujutsu Kaisen and uh, Bleach, I guess, where it's it's the it's not afterlife, but it's where devils have powers, and that revolves around the characters. So essentially, the devils make contracts with people, uh, both enemies and the heroes, and essentially they sacrifice an aspect of themselves. Um, for this power, and basically you just see the plot lines unfold where you see there's a lot of mystery, 
unfolding um the powers are very sick they range from again this this fox demon devil where you can control a part of its body to there's a devil named after santa claus who can turn people into dolls anybody who touches after turns into a doll too yeah how can how would you explain it uh it, it, it centers over the the main story f- uh, follows denji who was this orphaned boy who befriends pochita which is the chainsaw devil who Almost through a dying experience, they make a contract, which he didn't kind of know at the time. And then, yeah, he becomes Chainsaw Man, a very sick, very sporadic, very erratic uh, character who all of a sudden becomes the focus and the main target of everybody's desires. And it attracts other devils. And then you see the whole aspect of other devils' impacts on the characters' lives, such as um, the one of the main villains we revealed early on is the Gun Devil. And they explain a lot of atrocities and murders and all that that involve guns and essentially that fear feeds the power of the gun devil and yeah you'll see that one supporting character uh, aki his brother or his family lost their lives to the gun devil i think every person yeah knows basically yeah exactly yeah so yeah you just see um people who have powers contracted from devils it's a it's, it's very hard to not get too specific without wanting to venture it off to yourself and because it's it plays a lot on horror and the unknown the way they pace it is just you can't really spoil too much you just need that just explained i think i'll add on it's like it's also denji's journey to understand Mm. relationships Mm. not just romantically but also like friendships yes how you can have a bond with other people and because of like how his whole backstory is, which you get in like the first chapter, he was so like distanced from society, distanced from people, and his understanding of emotions is stunted. So when he gets the opportunity to be part of this agency to destroy devils, that's him trying to understand uh, what is it like to be part of a group is also such mm. an endearing journey to mm. look at. Because I think that's the main thing that grounds this series besides all the insane stuff that happens yes it's him trying to understand like what it means to be human and what it means to have a bond with that person totally denji's character isn't uh too rounded or it's not too com- complex it, the highlight is very very much so the supporting cast and the people who he surrounds himself with it does t- change him and does make an influence but yeah it's it's, it's very much this inhuman devil centric story about being human and you'll see those beats where those chapters where it does get human and it does get grounded you're just like oh this was beautifully told or this is moving and then sometimes you're just like what the hell just happened in like a sick way so yeah ryan would you read this i mean i i do like the 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 aspect with denji and his his journey i i, I think that's what i'm more interested in i mean obviously the insane stuff will probably tickle my fancy yeah so i i can see myself wanting to read i mean i do want i would like to read it maybe one day but yes i when the anime comes out i'll probably maybe check it out wherever it's on uh i can't transition to my topic so i'll just talk about it (laughs) (laughs) what i have here is a pretty famous tv uh web series that was on youtube a few years ago it's called tabletop i think i watched every episode of tabletop at least twice with certain episodes i've watched like five times what Tabletop is, is a web series where they try to showcase games, explaining the rules, while also showing a play of the game, of the actual game. So every episode, they will introduce a game, explain the rules, and then have 
actual people playing the game. It was such a great show for me to watch because it was a nice introduction to board games. Because before Tabletop, I, you know, I think most of us just know board games as like Monopoly, Uno, <laughs> and all that. But Tabletop was such a great show that it introduced so many new board games and how fun it could be. And like that group aspect of like trying to compete with another or work together for a goal in a game. That, that really interested me. Uh, it introduced me to a lot of games I play now, like Codenames, Coup. I played that. There's so many great games there. I think one of the strongest aspects of watching this show is also like the people that are in it. These are people that are friends with Will Whedon. He's the host. And uh, Will Whedon is in Star Trek fame. He was uh, Wesley in Star Trek New Generation. Uh, I have never watched Star Trek New Generation. It's because he brings it up a lot in the show. And that's how I know about it. But then he just brings his friends to like play games. And I think that's the best part of like playing board games. You just get your friends together and you play a game. And I think that show captures that spirit so well. No matter how high of a production value it is, how highly edited it is. I think capturing that spirit of like playing a game with friends is showcased throughout the show. Because I think the other ones that are like board game focus on YouTube. So like Shut Up and Sit Down and Game the Game. Uh, they just explain the rules. And for Game the Game, they also have a actual play, but then it's not as tightly edited as like tabletop. So you can't, you're watching like a one hour to two hour video, which I don't know. It's I to be honest, not that interesting as opposed to just getting that feeling from tabletop. There are some I think all of you would find a certain episode you would like because there are some people I think y'all would be interested in. Uh, Ryan, there's there's uh, a lot Karen, of people I see. There's yeah, Karen Gillan, uh, there's Karen Brandon Gillen. Routh. Yeah. Ashley Johnson, mm-hmm. Tara Strong, so many people. So many yeah. people. Uh, ben Ten's in there. Yuri Lowenthal. <laughs> oh. Oh, he's also. He did Sasuke's. Yeah. He did Sasuke's uh, English. As well. Yeah. It's amazing because they're all friends with Will. I'm like, these, these are so connected. I was like, a NASA engineer was also there. Uh, Jeez. Yeah. Chris Hardwick. Chris Hardwick's <laughs> also there. Uh, Seth Green is oh also God. there. Like, Seth Green and Will Whedon apparently are like childhood friends, so no wonder they're in the show. But I yeah. see Kamal Nan- Nanjiani's in here. Yeah, that's before he was buff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I mean, but still, I, I'm surprised he's friends with Will Whedon. Okay, I th- I don't know. Maybe it's not. Uh, mostly it's friends, but also it's like just people who they just connect with. They're like, hey, you want to come on the show? I think that was also what they have. Yeah, Red and Link is also there. Ryan Higa, Freddie Wong, is there. There's so many people that even if not only in the YouTube space, but also like, you know, actual celebrities, mm-hmm. uh, they're in there. And it's such a great way for them to show that side of them, that playful side. But yeah, I think the overall show just has that spirit of like what it means to like play games with friends and highly recommend the show. I am so sad that it ended uh, due to un unfortunate circumstances it was uh you can read all about it if you search it up i don't need to like talk up echo what has already been said even i think ho- the host will Whedon doesn't want to talk about it anymore i think it's just beat down to death about that whole situation but tabletop episodes are still online and i highly recommend it to people who who are interested in board games and what it's like to play um how long are these these episodes they're do they around, range yeah they do range i think the earlier seasons it was like half an hour but as like the seasons go by, there's four seasons. They're averaging around like 45 minutes, hmm. which is like a digestible time for like 
watching an entire game being played out. Yeah, I was gonna say because like they, they yeah like Catan like that's a that's a long oh. game. Yeah, uh, what they do is like uh, as like after you like get settled with like the rules and like the playstyle, they would like speed up the game. Like they would just like intermission. They would just show like uh, snippets of like what happened in between mm. time, and then in, you'll be you'll be in turn two, and then they'll just skip to turn five because or like turn six because they're like uh, these are the things that happen. Here's some footage from there. Here are the main things that happen. We'll skip now. I that's why it's like such a good show to like understand a game because first they'll like let you in on like how the game is played and then there's like the drama of l- the later half of the episode where who's gonna win and all that. I think if if a game is too long, they'll split into parts because I know like the bigger games they split into two. Like I just watched Fury of Dracula with Grant Imahara, R.I.P. Yeah, uh, that's split into two episodes and all that. I think it's digestible enough if you're gonna watch a whole board game being played out yeah i mean just looking at these games yeah there are recognizable games there are games that i'm interested in like wanting to play so yeah i would i would be interested in checking this out and uh, if you want to feel old they were released seven years ago some of them so (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Uh, i would say if you're like going into it there's no lore i guess (laughs) maybe the only lore is that will's bad at dice rolling but uh <laughs> but I think like if you just want to watch a show, an episode, just find a person that you know and see how they play. Uh Karen Gillen, I think you mentioned her before. That Liber the game's Libertalia, that was a fun episode. Where can people find this? Uh, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Wow. Yeah, so it's all there. Deep. Just search up tabletop, usually the first thing that pops up. Usually also if you like are interested in a game, if tabletop did it, that's usually the first thing <laughs> that pops up. It was that popular. Mm-hmm. I see the Fine Brothers played. Yes, the Fine Brothers did play. And they didn't have to uh, pay to have their reactions. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, what I would say, speaking of reactions, uh, uh, they uh, they spliced together like talking heads. So if like a move is being played, they would like cut to them in like a, a, like a colored screen talking about the move they just made. So it adds to like the drama and also like adds to them uh, thinking about the moves. So it's also nice to get like a, a player insight of like what they were thinking when they were playing the game. Oh, is it is it like used to seriousness or like a bit of comedy as well? It's both. Okay. Like like oh if I only had like this card, blah blah blah, or like uh just for a comedic effect sometimes. Like I think the running gag for like Yuri Lowenthal is that every time he has a talking head, he's eating something more and more. <laughs> like his plate gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> so yeah. So, yeah. Okay, well, the more I'm hearing, I'm liking it more and more, so I might check it out. Is there any um, special criteria to how they decide a game? Is it based on their guest or? Uh, I think from what I haven't seen like a lot of behind the scenes, but I think from like Will, he just wants to play a game that he thinks would be good for the show and would be good to like play with friends. I think they made that criteria well because like every game that I played from that show, like solid to like have a good experience with. Well, it seems like the Spirit Warden doesn't like us using the Spirit Energy to power our podcast. So I guess that's our time to leave. Like, as we wrap up, uh, we want to thank you all, our listeners, for listening to the very first episode of Power Outage. Uh, We might return to the Spirit World to, like, record the other uh, reactions and recaps of the last six episodes of Mystic Pop-Up War. But thank you all for listening. We are Power Outage. My name is Kent. I am with Ryan and Levy, and we'll see y'all next time. See you.
night. Uh, good fo- good first episode, everybody. Uh, let's just head back home. Uh, there's power in our house, so yeah. Um, since we are going to be coming back to do the second part of Mystic Pop-Up Bar, should we just leave the equipment up here, or do we need to bring it back to Earth with us? Uh, yeah, we could just leave it here. All right, it's a spirit world. No one's going to steal anything. Yeah, exactly. Who really cares? It's, yeah. like, it's like the good place. You know, everyone's good here, <laughs> so we'll just, we'll just leave yeah, it up yeah, here. Yeah. We trust people. Yeah. Okay. Ah, oh, even spirits these days are trying to start a podcast. It's like everybody wants to start a podcast. It's like the whole new generation of let's start a band, let's start a book club. You know, when do people do this? Who knows if they're even going to commit to it. Look at these three spirits just lazing about God. Maybe we should start a podcast talking about these losers. Oh, wait. Is this still recording right now? God. My God. How do we, how do we delete this stuff?